This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles that's been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They've got 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can also sign up for their e-rider newsletter. It's free and I highly recommend it. That's www.maxbmw.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lamphere. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rush. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeVell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Also, Best Rest is a North American distributor for Google Tech filters, the filters that should be on your bike. Visit them at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. David and M. Morrison were on a vacation. They're four-wheeling, camping, and fishing near Melbourne, Australia. And they spotted a sign for a place they hadn't visited before. So they made a quick turn. And when they got there, they discovered that there was an adventure travel film festival going on. And there was displays there, and there was people selling things. So they decided to park the vehicle, get out, and wander around. And they stumbled across a pair of motorcycle travelers that were standing there selling books and talking to people about the adventures that they have done. These travelers turned out to be Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks. And well, Brian and Shirley must have made a a pretty good impression on them because by the time David and M drove away that day, they were already sold on the idea of a long distance motorcycle trip. The only thing they had to do now was, well, to figure everything out, including getting a motorcycle. Okay. Hi, my name's M. Morrison. I'm from Melbourne, Victoria in Australia, and I work in the mining in Australia. And I'm David Morrison. Uh, as M said, we live in, uh, in Melbourne in Australia. Um, I work in the health and safety field environment, health safety, um, on mine sites uh, overseas, wherever they'll employ me. 
Em and David, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks very much, Jim. It's, it's uh, great to be on the show. Thank you so much for having us. As we said, you guys are on a trip right now, um, but you did describe yourselves as working. I know you're not employed now as working in the mining industry. Is this your first crazy event? As a matter of fact, just as I said that, I know it's not for David because he did some ridiculous walk across a desert. I, I don't know why I want to talk about that. But I mean, is this sort of a, a big one for you guys other than maybe the desert walk? It is a huge thing. It's definitely our very first ever big overseas trip with the motorbike and for me it's it's a big thing it's wonderful it's challenging it's um it's great love it i mean we we have worked in the mining industry so we've worked away many of our you know for for many years um yeah so this trip you know back home in australia obviously as you mentioned you know we've, we've explored we've always gone away camping four driving um but this is our first overseas trip for, you know, um, well, so far we've been away for 14 months. Um, the plan is to probably go for another eight or nine months. Um, and then it's, look, it's time to, for us anyway, it'll be time to head home. Yeah. Um, we, we miss our children. We miss mum and dad. We miss our house. Um, look, the travel has been great, but it's time to go back for, you know, maybe one or two years and... Make some money so we can do it again. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you guys been together now? Wow, we've been together for about 11 years, but wow. we've only been married for about two and a half and, and, years. And Jim, I must tell you, <laughs> um, so we met on we met on the mines and um, M, at, that, at that point, M was a, a chef um, yes. on the mines, so she was in the kitchen. And I, I walked into the kitchen one day and I saw this woman and I thought to myself, she's beautiful. So I hung around the kitchen and I ate things like parsnip and all these terrible things and just to sort of spend a bit more time with her. And then, um, and as you can appreciate too, on the mines, the ratio is about 95% men to 5% women. So initially I think you thought I was a bit, a of, a bit of a creepy weirdo. A bit of a <laughs> but it all turned out really wonderful. <laughs> It's good that you you're still together. You mean you've been traveling for this long now and and you're still hanging in there. You know you haven't the travel has not got to the both of you traveling as a couple because there's, there's a lot of stresses, aren't there as traveling as a couple? Oh, there are so many stresses and I think the first 4 months were probably the hardest 4 months for us as far as our relationship goes. It was just like we've worked away together, but it's not really the same when you're on one motorbike sitting, you know, well, in my case, sitting behind David, uh, it was it was crazy. I think we nearly, nearly got divorced. We did. It was interesting. <laughs> but, um, but it all worked out. We, we got stuck in Bolivia uh, for five weeks. But our, our motorcycles are a 2015 um, BMW GSA, and BMW had the fork front fork recall Um and when the recall came out, the the uh, the gap, or allowable gap, was 0.2 of a millimetre, and our our forks had a gap of two millimetres. So straight away, um, that meant, in 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 my eyes, that BMW were saying the bike was unsafe to ride. So we got stuck in in Bolivia for five weeks, waiting for a new set of forks um, to arrive, and it was difficult. It was really difficult because we. 
we were frustrated yeah. and just waiting on parts to arrive. Um, yeah. Nothing to do. Well, there was, yeah, there kind was... of. Maybe too much time on our hands and, yeah, nothing to do and – it, it was difficult. And, there, yeah. and, and honestly, Jim, the thoughts, it, it went through my head. I said, there were days when I thought, I'll just, I'm happy to do this trip on my own because, you know, we would be yelling and arguing and, um, it, you know, it got uh, pretty pretty tight there. But, again, like you say, we, we've progressed from there and it takes, I think it takes a special relationship to, you're right, not only to work together like we have, but also to spend so much time with your yeah. partner. Um, Every second of Every, every second of the day. <laughs> Not to pry too deep into it, but was it the parts that sort of saved the day or did you work it out before the parts arrived? Um, That's a good question. Yeah, you got us there. <laughs> no, look, I think, I think, uh, no, I think the parts, honestly, because we were, you know, we were frustrated and it, it, was, a, it was a difficult time because, um, you know, I, I was obviously emailing BMW in Mexico and, and, and the guys in La Paz, BMW La Paz, were great. But they could only do as much as they could do. And, you know, f- for me, if we sit in one spot for too long, it does get a bit frustrating and you like to get on the move again and get moving. Yeah, so I think sure. once those forks came in, um, it was a quick goodbye to people and, yeah. we, and we were off. But I was also going through a lot of changes um, just not being in Australia, not being at home, all the the, the travel challenges. So for me, um, it was a big thing. There was a lot going on. Yeah, yeah, a lot. <laughs> David, jumping back to long before this started, you walked 600K across the Simpson Desert with five camels for a month. I did. Why? <sighs> It's a really good question. I and I I can still remember to this day walking and asking myself why why I was doing what I was doing. It just uh, things like that just come into my head, and I think oh, it sounds like a good idea. I can be a little bit shoot from the hip a little bit, and um, I think the idea. I, I read an article about a gentleman that had camels that he'd used to cross the desert, the Simpson Desert. And I just thought it would be a good idea. And so I, I contacted him and I you know, arranged to, um, I suppose, lease the camels. And the plan was I left um, Alice Springs. I met him just out of Alice Springs. Um, there was myself and, and a friend of mine. And we, we literally just took a compass bearing. Um, the camels had, I suppose you could say, saddles, so to speak, on them. So we took enough provisions. We took enough water. We had a satellite phone. Um, so, and there was one incident during the, in the middle of the trip, but yeah, we basically, we set off and just decided to, you know, follow this compass line all the way from Alice Springs through to Birdsville. So, you know, on average, we were sort of doing, I think it was around 15 to 18 kilometers a day. Um, and you know, it was the, it was a, a, I suppose the cool part of the year, so it wasn't too hot. Yeah. We just set off and. And we got to Birdsville and, and there wasn't much of a hurrah once we got there. We just sort of got there and handed the camels back over and, and <laughs> came home. 
<laughs> it's funny because as you were telling that little bit of a story, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I could do that. I, <laughs> I was right there with you. You would have sold me on the yeah, trip. Look, uh, look, I mean, it's just... interesting because um, I walk faster than my the, – the, my, the friend that I was with, I walk fast, uh, you know, so there was a one day there which I and I made a it was a fatal or could have been a fatal mistake. So I I set off. I said to him, look, I'm going to walk. You know, I took a bearing and I could I walked off. And the plan was to I would get to a certain point and then wait for them to catch up. But I lay down and um, I had a bit of a snooze and his bearing was a little slightly off. So when I woke, there was no one there to be seen. So. You know, you have to also not panic in those situations. And I went back one or two dunes, but there are a lot of wild camels in the area, so you couldn't pick up any tracks. Um, and it was getting to the stage where I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to – because you don't, the last thing you want to do is, is walk around the desert. You know, you have to make a decision. So I said, look, I'm going to – you know, we had a rough point of where we were, so I, I was just preparing to stay in that point until somebody found me. And luckily – um, about an hour later, we were reunited. But I made a mental note from then on never to leave um, the security of, of what we had. Yeah, yeah, I mean, even just taking a compass bearing, I mean, half a degree off, I'm, I'm trying to think of what it works out to per mile, but you're talking many feet per mile. And after s- several miles, I mean, that's very, very easy to miss someone just from normal map and compass work, even if you're good. But- Unless yeah, you have a handrail or something, unless you're saying, you're, you know, you're meeting by the river. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of which there aren't many right. in Nova Simpson Desert. Desert, of course. Exactly. Look, when I say compass bearing, it was, we thought we did take some compass bearings, but you're right. We obviously had a little bit of assistance from um, from uh, electronic means and so forth. But look, it was great. And then I came home and it was interesting because I came home and questioned what life was all about, you know, because... It takes, and this is something that I'm a little bit worried about with our trip as well. Is you know you you get you you return home and then you start questioning, you know what work's all about and what life's all about. And but within a couple of weeks, I, I, you know what I call I got I got back onto the merry-go-round, you know, of work and all that sort of stuff. And but it's something that's crossed my mind for this trip because when we return home. You know, I'm sure we're not the only ones that have sort of questioned or might question, you know, why are we working? What sort, you know, you know, do we need the security of our house and why can't we just keep traveling forever? It's an interesting story how you got the idea to do this trip. You, you took some time off to go fishing, from what I understand, and you saw a sign for the town of Bright. Correct. Um well, so, so Em and I, as, as we explained, we were working um, together on the mine. So we were lucky that typically we would work for two weeks straight. Or three or four, whatever yeah, so the roster t- may whatever be. Whatever the roster was. But typically two or three weeks we would work every day and then we'd fly home we'd have a week off. So we had a week off together and we, yeah. we travelled to the top of Victoria and the plan was to follow the Mitamita River as it meandered down through the snowy mountains. And we would stop and camp and fish and as we were coming down uh, through the snowy, we saw a sign towards Bright. Now, Bright, uh, it's about, I think, three hours out of Melbourne. And by all accounts, you know, everyone had spoken about it and said it's just a beautiful area. It's a really popular place for people to go. Um, so we got into Bright. And as we were entering Bright, 
And I mentioned before that we, we, we camp and we four drive. And I'm a bit of a, a boy at heart. And I'm seeing all these um, motorbikes, motorbikes and, and Oka. Um, we call them Oka, OKA, Oka trucks, and all these big overland vehicles and four drives and land cruisers. And, and so I start to get a little bit excited and I'm thinking, oh, this is what's, you know, look, I was in heaven, to be what's, honest. What's going on here? Exactly. <laughs> so we. We pull into town and and uh, in town there, there's a um, there was a, a bit of land and they had all these stalls set up and um, you know they had some trucks there and motorcycles. So we went there and we were talking to all the people and we we're getting brochures and we we came across a couple um, just a little bit older than us, I'd say, um, and they were selling selling books. And, we- and they had their motorbike there and um, it was the Adventure Film Festival. Was being held in Bright yeah, that weekend. That, which that's what the actual event was. Yes. So we went up to them and um, they told us about their first book, which was their trip to South America. That's correct, yeah. But they, I think that by that stage they'd only written two books. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. so the two people ended up being um, your fellow commentators on um, ARR Raw on, on a um, once a month, uh, Brian and Shirley Ricks. Or Brian Shirley Hardy Ricks. I can yeah. never, I can never remember. Yeah, Brian Ricks and Shirley Hardy Ricks. Shirley Hardy Ricks. That's right. Correct. And it was interesting because we chatted with them, um, you know, only for about ten minutes. We we bought both their books, and I still remember. And I think um, I've heard um, Brian or both of them mention this previous, uh, uh, you know, on other occasions. But they said, just tell as many people as you can. Because once you commit to it, if you tell people this is what I'm going to do, it just makes it that much harder. Well, it makes it real. It makes makes it that you're actually going to do it. Yeah, and it just makes it that much harder to back out of it, so to speak. Yeah. And so we um, next to where they are, there's a great um, pub, pub, <laughs> uh, a, a great um, uh, microbrewery. So we went there and we sat down, and the the seed had been planted. And I suppose within 10 minutes, I said to him, well, we both sat and chat about it. And we, we literally just said to each other, do you let's want give it a go. Let's do this? Um, we had no idea. We had no, no, idea. Idea. no idea. We had no motorcycle or no suitable motorcycle at that stage. Um, yeah, so we went home and, you know, you start the process of, okay, this is the idea. Uh, how are we going to put this into place? So, so what do you, M, I mean, I know this was sort of your first big adventure. David's done the walk across the desert. Um, what do you yeah. look at that when you're looking at it? How do you approach something so big? A little bit at a time. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, basically, we just we just made a list of everything that um, that had to be done and we just sort of, Work through it, and I think the biggest thing, obviously, getting the motorbike was was the first. So, to make sure that we were were buying the right bike, we hired um, a, a BMW GSA. Yeah, beforehand. And we hired that for a weekend and went up to the high country. Correct. And um, we loved it, loved it, didn't we? We did, but just before we get there, how, what, for you personally though, what, how did you, when we started this, can you remember back personally how you thought? I was just super excited. Yeah. I thought, 
this is this is going to be ace. It's just it's. I've always wanted to travel, and I've unfortunately never travelled enough. So I just couldn't wait. I was I was on board while we were talking to Brian and Shirley. I was just getting all excited and yeah. No fear I, in there about, um, you know, this is really big and it's huge commitment and all, everything's going to be unknown. Well, I knew it was a, hu- it was going to be a huge commitment, but it was just, just seeing so much from other countries and just how they live and, and what they eat and just talking with them and, and all the beautiful things. I just couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. And sorry, Jim, I'm doing a bit of interview here. I'm asking oh. Chris as well. Did, was there ever a time when you that it was getting too hard? No, okay. never. Uh, it was, of course, it's always difficult when you're planning a really big sort of one and a half, two year travel trip. But I was happy to do whatever it took to, to make it happen because I really wanted to do it. It's interesting, Jim, because I think because I was more apprehensive. Yeah, you were. Um, and M really from day one is let's just do that. And it was a challenge, definitely a challenge for me because I grew up in an area where you worked. You didn't spend money. You worked. So for me, it took me a long time, or well, still even to this day, it's a bit of a struggle, to actually get my head around leaving work and the security of work and spending money and not making money, if that makes sense. And, and even to this day, it, it sometimes still gets hold of me. Um, but M, look, M just got, you know, if we could have left straight away, she, she was just, come on, let's go. And, but for me, I had to have all my ducks in a row. I had to get things organised at work before I felt comfortable and confident enough to embark uh, on this journey, and that may sound a bit odd from someone that just walk, you know, decides to go for a walk across the desert. But I don't know. Maybe I was just times are a bit different, and I'm a bit more grown up now. It doesn't sound like you're totally comfortable with it, even still. Oh no! Look, it's still. I'm I'm 52 years old, and three. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I can't believe I just. <laughs> you don't want to miss that extra year. <laughs> No. And I don't know, I just... Sorry, honey. That's right. And I just worry. I suppose I worry unnecessarily um, that, um, you know, am I going to get another job when I get home? Am, you know, uh, we've saved up hard. We've worked hard and we've saved up hard. So we're not going to come back and be broke. But it's just something that I've grown up with and and, um, to then just suddenly throw that aside, let's say to me it might be a bit of a carefree, oh, look, okay, I can do anything now. I don't know. It's still a little bit of a um, a speed hump in my mind. I'm a lot better than what I was um, because life, you have to. You can't just work. I I don't think you can't just work all your life. You've got to get out there and enjoy the time while you can and particularly while your body's still in good condition. We're going to take a really fast break to thank a couple of sponsors that helped make this episode possible. But stay with us because when we come back, we're going to talk about planning, getting ready for this big trip. There's a lot more coming up. 
motorcycle trips for women only. That's what Motobird Adventures is all about. The website www.motobirdadventures.com. Who is that? That's Carrie Doherty. Carrie runs the trip. She's an experienced trip leader and a motorcycle safety instructor. She takes care of all the details. You kind of show up and ride, which is great. I mean, even if you're from the area, but I was going to say, if you're not from the area, it's great to fly into somewhere and just set up a trip and then just go on it. Because it takes a lot to plan and pack and do your own trip. Let's face it. That's one of the huge advantages to Motorbird Adventures. Carrie does all that legwork, the planning, the prepping, the details, and you, well, you just kind of show up to ride. Women riders, drop by Carrie's website, www.motobirdadventures.com. And uh, whether it's street or dirt or a day trip or a multi-day trip, Motorbird has it all. Drop on the website, check it out, and do us a favor. When you talk to Carrie, anytime you're dealing with her, be sure to mention that you heard about Motorbird Adventures here on Adventure Rider Radio. And if you're not a woman, but you know a woman rider, help spread the word about Motorbird Adventures. Again, that's www.motobirdadventures.com. Scott Wright is the owner of IMS Products. Scott is a rider. He's a former Baja 1000 winner. So I guess it's no surprise that IMS Products produces extremely high quality gear. They still do for racers, has since 1976. And their foot pegs are no different. Built as if they were meant to be raced, and they can be, IMS foot pegs are designed to perform for life. And in fact, they actually come with a lifetime warranty and um, they're made in the USA. So that's where IMS can ensure they, the ultra tight quality control that they're known for in the racing circuits. And they have the ADV1 and the ADV2 pegs. That's ADV, obviously, for adventure and for us riders. These pegs are designed using a 16-4 cast certified stainless steel, a certified heat treating process. It's full-on high-tech stuff. And I'm using IMS pegs right now, so if you're waiting for someone to tell you what they're like, I have a lot of miles on them. They have been amazing for me, just amazing. So drop by their website and find out what a ton of riders already know, www.imsproducts.com. That's www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, email, talking, whatever, see them at a show, definitely mention you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, getting organized to go. Did you look at the trip and sort of do a bit of a reverse engineering and say, okay, this is the final result. What do we need to get there and sort of work backwards? Or because it sounds like you you started the other way. It sounds like you decided to get the bike and then say, okay, what do we get next? What what was your your sort of mode of operation at that point? Um, No, I think we sat down and just we started from the beginning and we worked forwards. We didn't start at the end result and work backwards. Um, so for us, I think initially we made a list of some bullet points on a piece of paper. So for us, I suppose the first thing was the bike. And as I mentioned before, we tried a number of different bikes because, as, as I'm sure everyone listening would be well aware, there's so many different um, options. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned, we did, in the end, we hired a bike to make sure we were, were going to like it. Yeah, which is a smart thing to do. And just so everyone yeah. understands, in North America, hired is rented. You rented a bike to try it out to make sure that, that was going to work for you before you buy it. Great. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And it's interesting, Jim, because um, just at the HM meeting on the weekend, we showed a slide of this motorcycle that we took off on on the weekend. The and one that we, the boy, that we rented. Yeah, rented. And we had every... So much stuff. Like it was just, we look at it now and we think, what were we thinking? We had the kitchen sink. And I think really once we got the bike, 
then we and we had yeah we were lucky with the bike we had some so with the stock market we because we've never bought anything brand new in our life um you know my car's you know 20 years old and i think your car's oh it's not too 10 10 years old but you know what i mean so this is the, we bought the bike brand new so this was the first thing we'd ever really bought brand new um and then we just well when once we had the bike it kind of seemed real like we're actually doing this so we just started making like a rough budget list of of um, how much money we'd need to save to be able to relatively comfortably um, do this. Yep. So we did that and then, of course, um, we rented our house out um, while we were away. So uh, that probably took the most time um, getting that up to scratch for um, people to move in. But, but before we did that, I mean, obviously, you know, Jim, I, I contacted that many people on websites because I'm a big believer if we, as you know, you can get so much information from websites and um, I'm a big believer in, you know, saying thank you to people. So, the, you know, I contacted that many people and said thanks for the information. Um, you know, we wanted to do our own website so, and, you know, had to learn how to, you know, make a website um, and we just – it slowly evolved to the point where we felt confident enough, um, you know, the, um, the bike, we would try, you know, packing the bike, seeing how this fits, seeing how that fits, and getting ideas again off other people. And, um, yeah, it, it, it got we, – we decided on a time, and as the date drew nearer, we felt more and more confident that things were going okay. You said budget. You you were talking about budget of how much money you needed. What did you decide on for a budget? Well, we we kind of decided on a hundred Australian dollars a day, which I think is what about seventy five US, I think, a day. Um, and that was including <laughs> the the bike, like the fuel, um, obviously accommodation, food, and everything else. But what we didn't include and it was probably the biggest mistake we've made so far, um, was we didn't include um, all the the tyres, if anything broke down on the bike, <laughs> um, servicing, even though David does do uh, most of the of the servicing, there are still some things that um, you need a, a mechanic or, or some help. So I don't even know why we didn't include that, but we didn't. So unfortunately, that's coming out of the budget. <laughs> the budget went out the window at that point. But yeah. did you have a slush fund where you say, you know, we've got this extra money just in case? Can I just say, in regards to budgets, and and I think Brian, um, this has been discussed before on Raw as well, that, you know, budgets are a completely individual thing. And, you know, Em mentioned before, we chose $100.00. Someone said to me the other day, why didn't you choose $95? Why didn't you choose $107.50? And it, it, that made sense. Why didn't we choose? How do we come to $100? And there was no, absolute no rhyme or reason. We just, yeah, it was a round figure, I think, in the end. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, and, and you're right. And look, we've got that uh, monetary number and we try yeah. to stick to it. But look, I oh know we've got we've got money up our sleeve, 
And you've got to also consider, like, if we start the day off and we fill the tank up, potentially there's half, half our budget, and then we might spend $20 or $30 um, on a campsite, and then you've got to buy some food. So the $100, it's not a lot of money. That was pretty quick. What was the, the mode of travel, the, the plan for it? You mentioned camping there. Was it camping? Was it a mix of hotels and camping? Well, we like to camp majority of the time. Yeah. There are there have been moments where we have stayed in hostels and hotels when camping hasn't been available. Or every so often, I just need to feel like a lady. So <laughs> camping is out of the... Um, out of the question for that particular night. So we do we do try and camp, but we do like to stay in hotels and or hostels, mainly. Yeah, every we, just every so often. Yeah, look, I say we I, I'd say we camped about eighty percent of the time. Mm. Um, and look, sometimes you get into a big city, you just can't camp. Yeah, you, know, you have to. Airbnb is a great option. Um, we're in a little Airbnb at the moment for roughly around twenty five dollars Australian a day. Um, and that's a one-bedroom apartment just in Quito here in Ecuador. But we like to camp. Um, yeah. Uh, we use um, iOverlander, which many uh, travellers use, um, and that's got you know it's got many listed wild camping spots. And we've camped beside roads, in All sorts. fire stations, um, behind churches, behind churches everywhere. <laughs> you know, it may surprise a lot of people, but we we actually um, have one of the red vez tents, which, you know, they're the tents that, in theory, you can ride the motorcycle in. Um, so it's a big tent. Yeah. And a lot of people are probably thinking we're crazy and it's nine kilos. So it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a... It's a big tent, but, but we for, love it. It's been great. For us, it's been probably one of our best purchases. Yeah. Um, Especially when you're in it, like 80% of the time, you're always... You need to have something that you can move around in. And if it's raining... We can still hang out in the tent and not be on top of each other. So it's been great. Yeah, especially if you get any wet weather, that's when space really pays off. It's a premium. Yeah, you, you exactly. Mentioned, you mentioned um, iOverlander for resources. Are there any other resources that you guys discovered while on the trip or even before the trip that that really paid off for you that maybe would benefit some other people listening? Oh yeah, look, um, and we, we've got a slide for this um, in our presentation. So. Um, I suppose the two main apps that, and this is not just us, but you know the majority of people that we come across, um, iOverlander and MapsMe, yeah. you know the two working together because MapsMe obviously for Ecuador you can download the three maps that cover all of Ecuador. Um, so those two in conjunction. Yeah. Um, but the good thing about both of those apps is it doesn't require any Wi-Fi or internet connection. Yeah. So you can completely use those two offline. apps offline, which is really handy, especially for the maps. Yeah. Um, so we use, when we were down south, down in Patagonia, we used uh, Windy, which is a, a wind app. And, that, and with the wind app too, you could work out if you had uh, a couple of days, a window of a couple of days where the winds may be less than normal. You know, and it's always windy down there. And mm. so you could – that was a good app um, to have windy. Um, we, we've got a weather app just to check the weather. Yeah, we use a budget app, but that's just to sort of try and keep us on track. So Em's got a, a, another app called Trail Wallet. Yeah. And so everything we buy 
Yeah, that that's really handy though. I think the the budget app because I think it, uh, not keeping track is an easy way to find yourself in trouble because, like you said, your costs add up quickly. And a lot of times, I think most times, most for most of us anyway, you don't foresee all these little extras, and then next thing you know, it starts eating into your capital, and before you know it, you can find yourself, you know, very short of what you want to do for a trip. Yeah, and that was the only. And I and I still remember this day sending Shirley an email asking. How much did it all cost you? And you know, politely, and I, I, I understand now. She's written back and said, "Look, you know, it's it's an individual thing." It, it used to frustrate me a little bit that that finances weren't talked about because I know you can travel. You know, there's many people out there that travel for more. You know, have a, a bigger budget than ours, and many and people budget. have a less budget. But it's something that I found people tended to shy away from and not want to talk about. But travelling in most cases, cost money. Yeah, especially if you want to see a couple of tourist attractions. There's your budget gone and you haven't eaten or, you know, paid for just, even if it's just $10 for camping, you know, it's, yeah, it can be tricky. We, we did meet a, a lovely gentleman on the weekend who's, he's riding his Harley Davidson Sportster, I think. He's a, he's a, um, a digital nomad, um, which is a term I'd, I hadn't heard, but obviously there's many digital nomads out there that are computer operators that are traveling. But he he doesn't drink, for example. He says, look, if he was to buy beer or cerveza, there's some of his budget, so he chooses not to drink. Now, we're not that strong. No, we, uh, <laughs> we like the beer and a glass of wine. <laughs> In moderation, of course. Of course. I want to get a list of those apps from you, um, if that's possible. Yeah. And we'll also post that in the show notes because that, that's all really good information. And and I totally get what you're saying about budget. And we've talked, you know, along the lines of this before. Uh, it's difficult. It's definitely an individual thing. But you certainly need to to start somewhere. And your hundred dollars at least gives you a starting point, and then you can look at it and break it down and think, okay, it yeah. does work or or it doesn't work or it's possible. Yeah. It's somewhere to start. And and I think even just people hearing what you started with, at least it gives them an idea of what somebody else has started with you know and but i mean i agree i mean you i've talked with people that have, have got by with very very little money they're doing everything on the the cheap even with the motorcycle um so there's uh, i guess everything the full gamut yeah we met a lovely uh, father and son from mexico uh, bernardo is the son and they were traveling cheap and so they taught us the art of um and I'm not suggesting everyone do this, but they taught us the art of if you wanted to enter a national park, then they knew that the ticket office always closed at 8 o'clock at night. So they'd always enter after 8 o'clock, and that way they didn't have to pay the $5 entry fee. <laughs> but um, some countries we've, we've visited, obviously $100 a day has been really quite luxury, and we haven't spent that amount of money. But other countries, you know, it's, it can be a bit of a struggle to to fit it all in. You guys have found that um, the people that you meet through the countries that you travel are incredible. Uh, and I'm sure you've had lots of instances. I, I know you you had one story about um, David hurting his foot. Em, can you tell us that story? Sure. Um, okay, so we were heading out towards we're, a ferry. Oh, we're in Foot of the Flu in... In Chile? I think I it's think in Chile. Full of flu, yeah. The beginning of this day, we'd packed up our camp and we'd gone into town and we'd met um, about five or six other Argentinian motorbikers 
who all had similar bikes to what we were riding. So David being David pulled over and um, started chatting and and we um, had a really good conversation and that was it. We kind of left, headed off towards this um, this ferry. So anyway, we, um, we arrived at the ferry quite a bit early and decided to go for a bit of a ride around town and have a look. So David was, I think, only going about five kilometres, uh, rode around the corner and didn't realise that the ground was soft sand. I guess it kind of looked like hard sand. I thought it was hard packed sand and it turned out it just, the front just came out from underneath me. We both went down and, you know, the pannier just didn't, it not only did it twist, but it also landed on top of my foot. Um, and it was probably one of the most painful uh, injuries I've ever had. Uh, which worried me because I don't ride the bike. So um, he had to get up and ride the bike back to the ferry line. So he was lying on the ground. We're back in the ferry line. He's lying on the ground in pain. And I was trying to organise tickets for the next ferry that we had to catch, which was back in town. So I kind of left David on the ground, which sounds terrible, but, you know. I'm used to it. <laughs> and as I was walking walking into town. And you were distressed. You, you were pretty I good. was quite distressed because I was trying to organise these tickets and I'm thinking about David lying on the ground and, you know, how are we going to get the motorbike on the ferry? So anyway, I, I started walking into town to get these other tickets. And I walked past the same Argentinian guys that we had met that morning. And I'm a bundle of mess. I'm almost in tears. And I said to um, what had happened to David and crazily enough, they all turned out to be either medics or doctors. So they said, look, don't worry. We will um, go and have a look at him. Go and get your tickets. It'll be okay. Um, so off I went and um, they obviously attended to David and I arrived back probably about an hour later and they stopped me and said, look, he's fine. We've given him injections, um, like anti-inflammatory injections, and we've bandaged him up and we've, we've told him to take this little um, painkiller. Once he gets on the ferry, it'll, you know, put him to sleep and he'll be fine. The ferry was going for it. It was a long ferry. It was about an eight-hour yes. ferry. Yeah. So, and they said, "Look, we'll ride the bike on." And I was just, I was so grateful that that these guys had just gone beyond help. Went down to see David, and he, he seemed okay. They could not have been uh, more helpful. They rode the bike on for me because I couldn't ride, um, and then they kept checking up on me all night. I slept. Um, and then they helped us get the bike off at the other end. Um, yeah, and these are the sorts of things that the people that you meet in these travels. And, you know, you're riding as a pillion, and I think you've, you've even had people ask you probably numerous times, why don't you ride? Um, why don't you ride? <laughs> I, I actually really enjoy being a pillion. I enjoy sitting on the back. I like the feeling of just being close to David, it's, I, I don't need to ride. I, 
Originally, when we were, before we even started this trip, we did discuss me getting my license and I did start the process and um, get my learner license. But I, every time I got on the bike, it wasn't an enjoyable experience. I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. I was doing it because um, if David had an accident, I'd be the backup rider. It wasn't, I wasn't doing it for me. So we decided that it wasn't, I shouldn't do it. So I didn't. And I actually really, really like being a pillion. But you have struggled. I have struggled a lot being asked that question. Um, you know, why don't, why don't you have your own bike? Why don't you ride? Why do you sit behind your husband? Um, but I, the truth is I really enjoy it. But in those early days, it used to get you down a lot, didn't it? Of course, of course. And times are different. You feel a bit different now. Yeah. I mean, every so often I still slip back into that little emotion. But, um, yeah, I just felt really quite inadequate. I felt like uh, a lesser person. Mm. And, um, yeah, I thought, what am I doing on this trip if I can't ride a motorbike? You know, I'm just sitting behind and I realise now that even though I do sit on the back of the bike, we're a team and we both have our jobs and obviously David's job is to ride the bike and I have other jobs that I do. But together we make this full circle team and it, it works really well. It's um, Jim, and I can't remember, you, you had a husband and wife uh, I, I say team on uh, a while ago now, um, and it's just from hearing those people talk and hearing other people talk, you know, couples talk as well, that you realise, well, I'm, I'm sure I think Em realised that, you know, she wasn't, because I, I think at times that you were feeling a bit useless. like because then, Oh, completely inadequate, completely a lesser person, completely. But now... You know, uh, and I still remember the day, and again, I can't remember their names, but the, the, the wife said, you know, uh, when they travel together, she waits for her husband to get his, I think he said his, his ship legs, even though they're on the motorbike. Um, and, you know, and then they, they, they're a team. Well, for me, um, the, the role of the PM is important. You know, it's support. It's, it's, um, it's keeping an eye on what, I, you know, am I travelling Okay. Are we going in the right direction? Uh, and so it's, I think, for me, once Em started to, I suppose, look at that, her role or what's perceived to be her role differently um, and putting a positive spin on it that, that you, it's been easier for, for you to deal with. Yeah, yeah, it has. And I think in the real early days, um, we would joke a little bit about it, you know, oh, I just sit on the back and listen to music and I don't really do anything. And I guess after a while of that joking, it kind of just turned into, oh, I don't really like this joke anymore. It's kind of, you know, it's not cool. So. And I used to say, Jim, uh, you know, people say, and what do you do to Em? And I'd say, oh, she just sits on the back and listens to music. And the day came when she said, please don't say that anymore because, you know, I don't, like that and I was to me I was only you know I wasn't being serious but then I also had to take you know realize well this is important to her there's two people on this trip 
you've got to take into account the views and, and thoughts and opinions of the other person. So, and look, we've met some, and we've travelled with some lovely husband and wife teams that both ride. Yeah. And I think, but now it doesn't worry you? Oh, look, sometimes it still does, but it's definitely nothing like what it used to be. And I enjoy being a pillion and that's really all it comes down to. And, yeah. You see, I asked that question because it's something that comes up a fair bit for anyone who rides pillion. And it's almost like mm-hmm. that people think that there's something wrong with, with riding on the back of the bike, and which I, I totally disagree with. Um, you know, it, it's like it's like turning and asking somebody who, who flies with a commercial jetliner, maybe somebody in the military that is the navigator and say, well, why don't you fly the plane? Well, there's a, there's a lot of components to a team. And when you're traveling, I mean, even just being there is support. I mean, it's, it's a whole different ball game when you're traveling alone. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, yeah. I think that if people choose to ride pillion and ride with a pillion, uh, that's just a personal choice. I don't even see it as a, as a question of, of, like I say, why you don't ride. Um, I did ask it though to elicit a response from you, but um, I don't see it as a legitimate question. I, I think it's um, it's an odd way to look at things. But I think yeah. the majority of people we've met, you know, in South Australia, for them it's it's South they, America. I mean, South America, sorry. They it, they don't look, view it like like you've just discussed. You may view it as, well, why don't you ride? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Um, so you're going to be on the road till when? To we're we're thinking of going home March of next year. So we've got another what nine? I think that is months. And that's regardless of where you end up. You're just going to keep heading on your route, which is where are you headed? And 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 is that the case that you're just going to keep heading until you run out of time and money? Look, from here we go into Colombia. We're sort of planning three months in Colombia, mm-hmm. and then we get the Stahl Rat, which you would have heard of that the famous. Or the very well-known um, freighter, German freighter. Mm-hmm. Um, so we booked on that. We try not to book anything, but we booked on that. Yeah. The end of October. Uh, yep. Um, into Central America. Um, for a month. For a month, but um, in the last, I think, week uh, from at the moment when we we're recording this, the last week, uh, there's been some issues in Nicaragua, so we may not be able to. Well, we'll see. Yeah. Three months, four months or so. Things change. And then see. into Mexico for three months. Yeah. And then home to the rat race. No. <laughs> back, back to the, the rest of uh, the rest of the world's reality, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, back, look, it'll, so it'll be good to see the kids. It'll be good to see mum and dad. Um, but the reality is, you know, we've quit work, so we have to get jobs again. Yeah, but it'll be fine. It will be fine. It will be David and M, I hope you have a fantastic balance of your trip, and I hope to talk to you again. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been wonderful. Thanks for having us. Jim, thank you so much. And before I go, I just want to thank you um, and Elizabeth for the things that you guys do. For us in our travels, you know, we've listened to many shows uh, as we've been traveling down highways and so forth. We've picked up uh, tips and tricks, and we've learned bits and pieces that we've adapted ourselves yep. so thank you also. all from adventure rider radio yep. so thank you so much to you guys as well thank Absolutely. you
That was David and M. Morrison while on their trip in South America. You can follow the Morrisons and find out more by dropping by their website, www.twowheelsinmotion.com.au. And that link will be in our show notes, along with a photo of the rented bike they talked about that was all packed up with everything under the sun and a list of apps that the Morrisons found useful for their traveling and still find useful for their traveling. That's all in the show notes for this episode. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much. It obviously would not happen without you. If you like what you're hearing, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. We've got all of our shows there that you can download for free. Also, we have our other show called ARR Raw, which comes out once a month. We're about to do another episode, I think, next week. So we'll be coming out the following week. Anyway, drop by and check it out. The show notes for this has uh, the photo in it that we mentioned and some other things, as well as all of our show notes. Definitely drop by the website, check out what we've got there for you. www.adventureriderradio. Hey, and if you like what we're doing here and you want to help support the show, uh, we're set up with Patreon, so you just have to go on there and um, fill out your information there and you can help support the show once a month which we would truly appreciate anyway drop by the website www.adventureriderradio forward slash support my name is jim martin now it's time to get out there and ride your bike see you next week hi this is anit irfan and you're listening to adventure rider radio (laughs) 